verse 11 of 2 Chronicles 7. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had seen all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place as a temple of sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague upon my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all that I command and observe my decrees and my laws, I will establish a royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and the commands I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. And I will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. And I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. The temple will be a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to, his, to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and they've embraced other gods and worshiped and served them. That is why he brought all this disaster upon them. I want to take you today, if I may, uh, to a, a time many, many years ago. <clears throat> I want to take you all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, the prophet. We're going to visit chapter 8 exclusively today. Uh, for the balance of this message. But let me give you a little bit about Ezekiel to start with. First of all, he is, uh, his name means that God will strengthen. He's in the 6th century B.C. prophet. Uh, he's the son of Buzi. He was in line to become a priest. All of his life he was raised to be a priest. All of his life he was raised around the temple. He was raised with respect and, and with the notion that the temple of God was holy, that the altar of God was holy, that there was a holy place, and then there was a holy of holies where only the high priest could go. And he was raised with this deep regard and this deep respect for the house of God. And he could not wait till one day when he turned 30 years old when you could actually become the priest that you were in line to become. And on his 30th birthday, God called him to be a prophet instead of a priest. On his 30th birthday, he woke up beside the river Kibar. He had been exiled from the land of Jerusalem. He had been taken captive to Babylon. And there he was beside the river, thousand miles from home. He was supposed to be on this day coronated as a priest. But on this day, God has changed the role that he has for him and says, I don't want you to be a priest anymore because the temple just ain't what it used to be. But now I have called you to be a prophet. And it is from that angle that I would like to preach this morning. I want you to imagine, if you would, the temple of God 
the way it was built when Solomon dedicated it, the, the beautiful colonnades, the sanctuary, then the, the, the great big curtain between the holy place and the holiest of holies where the presence of God dwelt and where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And um, if you could imagine the, the outer courts and the beauty that was there and then the inner court and the beautiful tapestry and all that was there, it was indeed a gorgeous place. But I want you to know something about the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, the entire book, is a repudiation of what Ezekiel thought. He thought that the temple was holy. He thought that Jerusalem was holy. He thought that the altar was holy. He thought everything about that whole place was consecrated holy, and it was supposed to be holy. But now he is beside the river Kibar. He has been exiled. When the Babylonians come in, they take the upper echelon of all the men and they to Babylon. He finds himself in Babylon because the temple of God has degraded, because the priest of God had let it go, because the people of God that come to the temple themselves were no longer holy and would no longer live right. And while they still had the facade, while it still looked good on the outside, God Jehovah said, I'm telling you the inside is messed up. It reminds me of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said to the whited sepulchers. He said, because you've made the outside look good and it's pretty, but on the inside it is still filled with dead men's bones. So Ezekiel now is going to repudiate, or God is going to show him. Ezekiel's understanding is that everything is prim and everything is proper. It's on his birthday. He's a long way away from home, and it's not enough that he's suffering this appalling death in exile, if you will, with the other exiles. Now he has to endure the lonely unpopularity of being the prophet of God who would give such a harsh message to the people of God that are in exile. They want to hear a prosperity message. They want to hear something that says God is on our side. They want to hear that God's going to redeem us and God's going to fix us. But God says, Ezekiel, I want you to give them a hard message. I want you to tell them the way it is. If you remember the early parts of Ezekiel, he said that I have made you a watchman upon the wall, Ezekiel. He said if you see the enemy coming in and you don't sound the alarm, the people are going to perish, but their blood will I require at your hands. However, if you see the enemy coming and you sound the alarm to the people and they, uh, they are overtaken by the enemy and they die, they will die in their sin, but you will be delivered from blood guilt. So here we find ourselves now, and I want to give you a few uh, scenes, if I will. Picture with me that Ezekiel's beside, he's got a house beside the river Kibar. It's a thousand miles from Jerusalem. It's a long way from there, and the people are longing for home, and he's longing for home. 
Matter of fact, did you know uh, Jeremiah prophesied and told the people, the people said, the false prophet said, we won't be here long. It it won't be long. And Jeremiah, the prophet said, go ahead and build a house because you're going to be here a long time. They would be there 70 years. You understand? They'd be a couple of generations. He said, you can act like this is going to pass, but this ain't going to pass quickly. Some of you will live and grow up and then die before we ever go back home. Some of you will never see Jerusalem again. They are all, they're a long way from home. But now, one day, someone just takes Ezekiel by a lock of his hair, and he, or by his ear and a lock of his hair, and he carries him. He whisks him away in the spirit. Ezekiel turned to see who it was, and you know who it was? Ezekiel saw God sitting on his throne in chapter 1. He said, it looks like the one that sat on the throne. Someone fed Ezekiel the scroll, you remember, and said, eat the book. You know, he said he kind of resembles that fellow. So all scholars believe, and they say to us, that it is Yahweh himself, God Jehovah, that because Ezekiel had such a calling. He had such a veneration for Jerusalem and the temple. He had such a feeling and such a high regard for that place says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take you on a thousand-mile day journey today. It's a field trip, and I want to take you back home, and I want to take you inside the courts. I want to go inside the holy place. I want you to see everything so that when I take you back home tonight, you'll know that I'm justified in what I'm doing. Are you all with me? Say amen. So the Bible tells me that, you know, think about this. Now, he, he's there. He's been there for a while. He's now on this journey. He comes, and God's carrying him. It's tri- it, this trip is designed to show him the degradation of Israel. And so here they are. They come, and, and um, they're on their way into the courtyard. And as they approach the courtyard there, they see uh, the idol of jealousy. Look in in Ezekiel chapter 8, and let's see that real quick. In Ezekiel 8 and 5, the Bible says, Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked to the north and the entrance of the gate of the altar, and I saw the idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, What do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see things that are even more detestable. So we find him here coming into the property, and at the outer court there is an Asherah pole, kind of like a totem pole, built to the god Astarte. Canaanite gods. Are you with me? Say amen. It is a direct violation of Deuteronomy chapter 4. It is a direct violation of Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You're not to make into thee any graven image. You're not to worship any because I am a jealous God, he said. God alone is to be the object of worship. His sovereignty is now being challenged by the invasion uh, of his, this sacred place by an alien deity. Yahweh will have nothing but himself and his people. He has been reduced now to the level of some nature God who could only be appeased by debauchery and religious prostitution. Ezekiel is warned that you're going to see even more detestable this. So let's move on. In verse number 7 of chapter 8, he sees a hole in the wall. He he says, uh, then he brought me to the entrance of the court and I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. 
And he said to me, son of man, now I want you to dig into that wall a little bit. He says, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and I saw a doorway there. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and he said, there were there every sort. Watch this. He said, I saw every sort of creeping thing. He said, there was abominable beasts. The idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around the walls. And, and, and we see him going further. He says, um, crawling things, unclean animals, and all of the idols. In front of them stood the 70 elders and Jaazaniah, the son of Shaphan, who was standing among them. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. This tells me that they were not only there, that the... That that, that it was not only carvings on their walls, which by itself was bad enough, but having the, the sin and the smoke and walking around is that they are worshiping these deities that are carved on the walls of God's temple. So let me, let me just go a little further. He said, so uh, he said to me, son of man, the elders of Israel are doing in the dark. Each one has his own little shrine of his own idol. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he says, but you will see things even more detestable than this. I want you to catch this with me. The animals portrayed on the wall, droppings of excrement everywhere on the floor, making the holy place unclean, if you will. The room is dark. It is secret. Incense and burners are lit, wielded by the 70 elders of Israel, led by Jeazaniah, the leader. And here they are, obviously performing worship to God's represented these images on the wall. And the elders are saying, God, don't see us. God cannot see what we're doing. And they're trying to secretly appease the gods of Egypt, the crocodile and the beetles and the snakes. And they're secretly trying to have it both ways where they can say we love God, but yet we can draw crocodiles on the walls and wave a laver of incense, uh, you know, and worship and secretly try to get Egypt on our side while having Jehovah in our back pocket as well. Sounds almost like modern day, doesn't it? Each elder seems to be worshiping at his own little alcove. And there's Jeazaniah leading them. The political leaders are trying to invoke the support of the Egyptian gods while at the same time getting the Egyptian armies, the rituals that involve these deities. And Yahweh tells Ezekiel, they think that I can't see them. The people say, yes, and the Lord has forsaken the land. Y'all remember, there was another time Moses went to the hill, the Mount Sinai. He got the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. God's hand, literally, the finger of God wrote them. Moses is coming down the hill with them, and he gets there, and he sees a calf set up. And he asks about it. And if you remember the story, here he is 
Aaron, his brother, has erected a golden calf in their worship. But he, you understand? That's what they were doing. And God did not accept it then. Moses had the, the, the golden calf ground to powder. And he made the children of Israel drink that powder. He said, you want this God? Let, let, let's grind him up and let you drink him and ingest him. Since you're so filled with love for him and feeling for him. You wouldn't want Moses as your pastor. So anyway... God says the same thing. He said, I, I want to show you, Ezekiel, what they're doing at my temple outside the courtyard is, is, is a pole erected to Astarte and to the Canaanite gods. And as we've come into the temple, we have dug through the wall and we have seen Jehazaniah with the 70 elders right now. And on the walls of God's house is crocodiles and snakes and beetles and bugs. And they are, they're worshiping quietly, saying to one another, God can't see what we're doing in God's house. Now, I want you to picture with me the outer court if that was the foyer area. And then the holy place would be right here and everything beyond right here. Imagine a big black curtain right here, thick curtain that would separate the holy place from the holy of holies where, the tent, where, where actually the ark of the covenant that contained Aaron's um, pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the Ten Commandments and all of that that was inside there, literally representing the presence of God was back here. And only the high priest could go one time a year. Only one time a year. This was before Christ, uh, before Christ come for Calvary. So then the, he takes us a step further. It's worse than this. And he goes over to verse number 14. His eyes from the previous scene. Ezekiel has returned to the daylight. He's confronted by what God says is even more detestable than what you have just seen. He gets closer to the whole and he hears women crying and they're weeping and it was so offensive. Let's see what it says in chapter, four, or chapter 18 or chapter 8 verse 14. He says, and then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house and I saw women sitting there mourning. For the God, lowercase g, God Tamuz. And there, he said to me, do you see this, son of man? Yet you're going to see things even more detestable than this. Where God, the giver of life, is to be celebrated. Women are involved in a mourning ritual for a dead hero of pagan mythology. And a Babylonian hero at that. Ezekiel would soon report back to the, to the exiles in Babylon. He would soon go back to them and tell them that paganism and worship of a, of a Babylonian hero of mythology is happening in the house of God. And see, they've been exiled. And these thousands of people feel like they've been exiled unjustly. They feel like God has allowed this to happen to them. And what a bad day in our life it is. And God is carrying their leader back home to show him, I am justified in what I'm doing because this is what you guys tolerate. I just can't help but think of when the prophet cried out when in the Old Testament they let the house of God go into shambles and the Lord spoke and said, is it time for people to dwell in your sealed houses and in your beautiful places and allow the house of God to go in ruins? So no wonder Ezekiel, he couldn't speak for several days. He couldn't say a word. And uh, God said, you're going to see things even worse than this. So 
God carries him a little bit further. It's the final scene that takes place as close to the Holy of Holies as you could actually go without going in. Please remember that only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and only one time a year and then not without blood. The high priest would go in to speak for the people. Not just any priest, but only the high priest. They tied a rope around his waist, and they had bells tied to his robe. So as long as he was walking, they could hear the bells ringing. You dare not penetrate the veil. You dare not go back behind there, because had you done that, you would die. In fact, if the priest had sin in his life, he would die. That's why they had a rope tied around him. If they heard the bells quit ringing, they just pulled him out rather than go get him. You could not appear before God without being clean. This final scene takes place just outside the Holy of Holies. It's a place at the very door of the temple. It is the very place right here where Joel summoned the people to weep and cry at the porch and the altar and repent before God. In stark contrast, Ezekiel gets there. Here's what he finds. Look at verse 16. He brought me to the inner court. That's right here. And there at the entrance to the temple between the portico and the altar, there were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, have you seen this son of man? It's a... It, 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 Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things that they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them, putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. God says, I am fed up with this bunch of people in Jerusalem playing church. Hello? He said, I am tired by my name and worshiping everybody else. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, he said, you have lied to me with your, he said, you flatter me with your lips and lied to me with your tongue. You said one thing and did another. And now we find him in this place. He's just outside the Holy of Holies. And they have lifted their backside to God while bowing down in obeisance to the Babylonian sun gods. So, So let me show you how this shakes out. Just so you know, we're in the temple. Ezekiel and all of them, uh, well, Ezekiel's here in the temple with but everybody else is a thousand miles away. They're beside the river Kibar, moaning their plight and where they are. And God has brought his journey just to show him how bad things really are. Understand this. When Ezekiel got on the parking lot, if they had a parking lot, he believed everything was holy. He was longing for the day because this was his would turn 30. It was on this stage that he would be coronated as priest today. But God had something else in mind. And God said, all you've been raised to believe is what's supposed to have been. But it's not. So I want you to see me as they come and they see this, this Canaanite God to Asherah, this totem pole erected to Astarte. Canaanite gods. 
We walk in and start down the hall and go into, you know, you come through the courtyard, you go into this inner place. And up on the walls, there's crocodiles. And could, could you imagine now? Turtles and beetles and and as you look a little bit closer, you, you couldn't believe your eyes. And Ezekiel can't believe what he's seen. He digs on through the wall and he gets in. He says, oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. Is that who I think it is? Yes. That's Jehazaniah. That's the leader of the 70 elders. And look, look, elders. These are the guys who lead the church. And they're all walking around with incense. And they're all worshiping snakes and crocodiles. They're calling out to Egyptian gods and Ezekiel shaking his head saying, no, I can't believe this is the house of God. This is where I'm supposed to be and they're worshiping Canaan gods and they're worshiping Egyptian gods and then he comes a little closer and he hears women mourning for Tammuz, this pagan god of fertility. These women are crying out and worshiping. They're not weeping in a women's prayer meeting for God, Yahweh, for Jehovah, no. They're calling the name of a Babylonian hero. He can't believe his eyes. He walks on. Surely as I get closer to where God dwells, things are going to shape up. And he gets a little bit closer. And he sees 25 men. No one never turns their back on the most holy of holies. You always stand looking at it. These men had turned their backside to God and knelt down and bowed in obeisance to the sun, the moon, and the stars. So right here in the house of God, there's Canaanite worship in the parking lot. There's Egyptian worship in the walls of the sanctuary. There, there's the worship of Tammuz just a little closer. And then there's Babylonian worship. Here's what's really going on. Israel don't have a relationship with God no more. They have tried their best to hold on to God and play with Egypt. Try to hold on to God and play with Babylon. Hold on to God and play with Canaan. I want to have this and I want to have him. I want this and I want him. I want this and I want him. They want all of it. What they're trying to do secretly is, is entice the Egyptian army to fight with them. Entice the Babylonians to fight with them. Entice the Canaanites to fight with them and stand with them as if God Jehovah wasn't enough. So call on God. If you want, he ain't coming. Call on Egypt. Egypt ain't coming. Call on Canaan. They're not coming. Call on Babylon. Nope. Chapter 9 tells me how they worship the false gods. And those people were killed, were dragged into the temple. Did you know the temple was not supposed to have anything uh, unholy? Not at all. The priest was not supposed to touch anything dead, but God's not there anymore. So it really don't matter what else you do. If God's not there, here's what Ezekiel said. He said, on my day trip as I was coming in, I met the presence of God going out. And what God literally said is, 
to Ezekiel, if, if you'll catch this with me. If my people want Canaan, they can have Canaan. If they want Egypt, they can have Egypt. If they want Babylon, they can have Babylon. If they want all of these other deities, they can have them, but they cannot have them and me. And so God's presence gets up off of his throne while they've turned their backside to him, while they bow in obeisance to the sun and the moon and the stars, while they shake their censers and worship in the smoke toward the crocodiles and the snakes, and while they bow before an Asherah pole and weep for Tammuz, God says, I'll have none of this. And he walked out of his own house. A house built and consecrated for God and his presence. And God says, I'm not even welcome in my own home. And I can't stay here no more. And so he left. In my mind, I asked God, where did I hear this before? And just that quick, the Spirit of the Lord checked me and said, it was back when Israel was in trouble. Eli was the high priest. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were priests beneath him. And they were crooked. They were sleeping with temple on the steps of the temple. They were taking money from the church. They, they were taking more of the offerings than they should have. And they thought they could also enlist the help of God. So when Israel got into a battle, I believe with the Philistines, Hophni and Phinehas, they're losing people. People are dying. They said, hey, go get the Ark of the Covenant from the temple at Shiloh. So they went and got the Ark of God. And those men carried the Ark of the Covenant. And God allowed this to happen. And as they got there in battle, God's presence did not go with them. They lost thousands of men that day, and the ark of God was taken. Word come back to Eli the high priest and said, Hophni and Phinehas, your son, are dead. He could take that, but when he heard that the ark of God is gone, he fell backwards and broke his neck. He could not take that the ark of God was gone, God's presence was gone. And his daughter-in-law, great with child, began to travail and ah! And she, in, in pain, be, began to give birth. And she brought forth a son. And the question was, what, what are you gonna name him? You know, you're going to name him after his father. That would be the norm. And she says, no, but his name shall be Ichabod. The glory of God has gone. God don't live here anymore in his own house. And God left the temple of Shiloh that day. And in the temple, God has brought you... God has brought Ezekiel there to show him this is what is going on in my house and if this is what's going to go on in my house I cannot stay here any longer so he left wow. you stand with me if you will I need to close this and here's what I want to say you may be here today and you may be trying to hold on to some other God Maybe it's the God of Egypt. I mean, I know it's not crocodiles and snakes. I know it's not the sun and the moon and the stars. I know it's not Tammuz. But what is it? 
What is it that you're holding on to that you really want? I want God. I want to be in ministry. I really want to do something great and effective in the kingdom of God, but I just cannot let this go. Whatever this is, is what I'm talking about. So if you're here this morning, see, because here's the deal. God is not going to share his temple with foreign deities. You either align yourself with him say he is my God or you'll align yourself with them God is a merciful God is a gracious God while heads are bowed and eyes are closed if you're here and you say pastor please pray for me I want to serve God Jehovah if you're here today and you say that can I see your hand I want to serve him Let me ask you as I get ready to pray, and I know time's getting by. If there's somebody here today lost and you're not sure where you're at with God, you're not sure, and if the trumpet of the Lord's sound, you just don't know, I want to pray for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just put your hand up and right back down? Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five. Somebody else? I saw five hands go up. Six. Let me pray for you right now. If you'll just say this prayer with me, and if you mean it, listen, if you don't mean it, it don't do you a bit of good, but if you mean it, it'll change your world. Simply this, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner. I have messed up and I have, I have blown it. I've tried other things and tried to walk the fence, but I can't do that no more. I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me whole and new again. I can't do it on my own. And I don't want to try to hold on to that and hold on to you. I know I can't do that. Give me the strength, Lord, to let all that go and to serve you. If you help me, God, I'll serve you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.